Hi, everyone. Welcome to Change Nerds. Uh, my name is Adnan Ali, and I'm all the way here in Hong Kong, and I'm here joined with... Kara Sundar, and I'm in Florida. And we want this to feel like you are just kicking back with us, having a couple drinks, you know, making sure that you're getting the real deal on change management. But we're 12 hours apart, so one of us probably shouldn't be drinking. Which one? You'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) So something I thought we could talk about today is resistance sponsors. You know, this is something I'm really passionate about because I love when the light turns on with somebody who's been resisting and they they decide to buy in. But it's really hard when your sponsor is the one who's resistant. So that's what I want to talk about today because this is real. And it's a fascinating topic because you think, why would your sponsor be resistant? Of all the people in the world, why your sponsor? If anything, that's the person who should be coming to you, championing the change, and you both partner together. So it's a fascinating topic. And uh, when you first brought it up, I was thinking to myself, just that, like, do we have resistant sponsors? I mean, Mm. what's your experience been with that? Yeah, there can be a lot of different reasons the sponsor is resistant. Um, You know, I think we all have this picture of a perfect sponsor. And even if they aren't totally self-actualized in that way, you know, our job really is to coach them and to provide communications. And they just need a little help, right? But yeah, the resistant sponsor could be, let's say your sponsor is the CIO of the company and you're installing a new software tool. That is the right person because she can control the resources and all of the technical reasons this thing could be successful or failure. But maybe she hates the guy in operations who's actually going to benefit from the tool. (laughs) So she's going to make sure it's installed just enough that she's done her part, but he falls on his face. That's real. (laughs) Also, (laughs) another thing could be, let's say you've gone through a merger and acquisition Mm -hmm. and somebody has the right title to be the sponsor, but they, it wasn't their idea. They don't want to do it. They feel like their world is being infringed upon. Mm. So they don't really want it to be successful. And so I think a lot of times sponsors get named, not because it's their idea and they're excited about it, but just because they have the right title or they're available. (laughs) Right. So it almost sounds like they don't have a sense of ownership of the change to begin with. And the change is happening to them, which is ironic because really that's the person you want to go to so they can go out to the organization and socialize this change, champion this change. And at the same time, they're feeling like it's happening to them. So really, how can you rely on them to do that? That's fascinating. Exactly. So what I want to talk about today is when you have used all the tools in your change toolkit. You've tried to work with them through their own change process. You've given them every tool and resource available to to do this role. But then they're just not playing ball and you still have to execute. Because that's the reality for mm-hmm. us, right? Absolutely. You still have to be able to deliver something, even if your key person to lead this charge is unavailable or even resistant. So I want to talk about some different types of resistance sponsors that I've seen. And I would love to hear from our audience mm-hmm. if you all have come across one of these or maybe I didn't even get one that you have seen. Email us, changenerds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. 
But what I'm coming to you today with is five types that I have personally seen. So I'm just going to jump in, Adnan. Excellent. All right. So the Let's first one, I call the magnifier. If you picture hmm. a big magnifying glass with a big eye, you know, they are looking for details and you know, they have this very singular focus on something. And, you know, it might be appropriate, let's say, if they're the CFO and they're really focused on the budget. And they always ask you about the budget. That's appropriate, right? That's not really what we're talking about. This is the person that says, well, why did you choose to use the Oxford comma here? <laughs> <laughs> or why did you choose that picture or that font in your materials? And you can get just totally lost on rabbit trails with this person. It's infuriating, honestly, because you can tell at some point when it's like a fifth meeting with them, they don't really even care about this. They're just getting you distracted. So they don't have to focus on the things that they have to do differently. So they've probably been promoted over the years for their attention to detail and been rewarded for that. And so finding a way to manage that is important because your conversations can get waylaid, you can get stuck and never get to these key decisions, and it can be intimidating. Like if they are constantly asking you about something that's not really in your wheelhouse, that can be really intimidating. It is to me, like when they're, you're grilling me about something technical mm -hmm. or the budget or something. So, um, and, and just quick, I'm curious. Ahead. So, Jump in. you know, these sponsors who really focus mm -hmm. on the details that perhaps don't matter <laughs> in the big picture of things, yes. do you find that they're intentionally being resistant in many cases, or is it perhaps more of an unconscious bias that they're bringing to the table that they don't even realize they're being resistant? It's just what they're used to. It's typically what they've done. It's how they would do things. And therefore, that's how they're, you know, trying to influence a conversation without even realizing, hey, maybe I'm derailing um, the focus here. I think it's a combination. You know, they mm -hmm. probably start off unconscious. It's just how they operate, and they're going to be looking for that that detail. But when it's your third or fourth conversation, <laughs> and you're realizing this is a pattern, um, I think there is some underlying, maybe even subconscious bias against. Mm the change for sure it's starting to get uncomfortable so they're going back to that thing that they know how to do which is ask detailed questions and so really what you can control is what you put in front of them so I say bottom line up front BLUF um, put the bluff out there and say okay I'm here I need five thousand dollars and here's why wow, they're not going to have much opportunity to say, why did you use an Oxford comma? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think our temptation when we're intimidated or we're worried about not controlling the conversation is to over-prep our slides and provide a lot of detail to show that we know what we're talking about. But really, that just gives them more fodder to jump into and get lost down rabbit trail. So I would say don't present it if you don't have to. If it is the CFO and you know he's going to mm -hmm. ask for a budget, you have to have that. Right. I mean, that's understood. But if you don't have to have a picture or you could have bullet points instead of grammar, these are just examples, um, just make it a conversation. Right. And so that takes away their ability to, to waylay, and it gives you power to control a conversation. Right. And it also gives you more avenues depending on how the conversation evolves, whereas if you go in with 
I would say, you know, a number of slides, a number of bullet points, pictures, the works, um, you know, you really can't pivot as easily. Whereas if you just go in with a few simple bullet points, you're finding the conversations going in one direction, you want to redirect, you have more of that flexibility, it seems. I completely agree. So if we're done with the magnifier, big, I would say I've encountered many magnifiers. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think it's one of the more common types. Yeah. Yeah, Because people get promoted because they're good with details Mm -hmm. sometimes and not necessarily because they're really good at championing change. So I think this is really common, but it's also one of the more benign types. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can work with a magnifier. The next one I want to cover is the shiny object lover. I'm picturing (laughs) someone covered in diamonds. You know, they love the new, exciting thing. So this might be your person who it actually is their idea. Mm -hmm. They went to some conference and saw some new technology, let's say, and they've got a ton of energy for it. They may have even pitched it to your funding body. Uh, They are super excited and bring a great energy. And so they've been promoted through the ranks probably because of their salesmanship. You know, this is someone who really knows how to sell an idea. So what happens when you have this shiny object lover sponsor? At the beginning, they are just, the train is going, and you are so excited to be a part of this. They bring so much energy. But then they start to lose interest as resistance pops up, and maybe they want to distance themselves from the idea when it's not that popular. Um, And they can even begin to doubt the whole idea, because they might even be thinking, I I just thought this was a good idea. I'm expecting someone else Mm. to actually go and, and make the change. So it's really easy for the team to lose morale when you have a shiny object lover, and it's not going to get better. It's not like, oh, we'll just get back from the holidays and everyone will have their energy back up. Oh, no, this person's pretty much gone. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we love the shiny object lover for their their energy and their enthusiasm, but really what I would say is keep them as far away from the project team as you can. You know, if you need to be that conduit, that's fine. Use them for broad-facing communications. Maybe make a video with them or a newsletter. You know, opportunities to really continue that energy and making them a star. Right. But don't don't ask them at all to be involved with managing the resistance and having those hard conversations. Um, And then in the background, make sure that you are building those relationships with the managers that are impacted. Obviously, you should be doing that anyways, but it's even more critical if you know you cannot rely on your sponsor. Right. And this sponsor sounds like a great person for the road shows, the sales pitch, you know, just really leverage their talents, their skills, whatever gets them excited about the change, you know, bottle that up and use it wherever you can, right? It sounds like a great capability to take advantage of. But at the same time, you know, it sounds like there are those risks. Um, Do you find that it helps to throw more shiny objects at them as you're going through the project. So, you know, to your point, the videos, um, you know, the opportunities to be out there to network and, you know, really make the case, really, you know, give them those uh, things that keep them motivated. Uh, Do you find that that helps? 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a great tool in your toolkit if you can manage it. Mm -hmm. They're not really a sponsor, but they're someone whose energy can really propel you right. through the end. And keep the project team motivated if they're seeing, you know, someone out there being very vocal. Um, they're performing one facet, I guess. <laughs> and then, um, so then how do you handle decision making on the project? So when you need oh, a man. decision or someone to manage resistance, um, how do you determine who does that? So I would say in this case, you would leverage your managers and supervisors. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be have, have to be a lot more collaborative. Um, those key decisions, you will have to find some body of governance to manage that. Thankfully, that shouldn't be solely on your shoulders mm -hmm. as a change manager, but working with your team lead to, to make sure that project can move forward. Do you, um, I, I wonder um, if someone just naturally emerges, too. I, I found in certain situations, and, and not all the time, but on certain programs where um, the main sponsor may not be as engaged or just has other commitments, priorities, maybe it's just, you know, they've moved on to other shiny objects. Um, there almost seems to be a natural leader within the business that sometimes emerges and um, potentially taking advantage of, um, of those individuals that emerge and, and really leveraging their connections. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, yeah, and depending on the organization, this person might have a chief of staff that you can mm -hmm. leverage to say, okay, you know the real deal behind right. the scenes. <laughs> you know, who, who do we need to talk to? So, yeah, you're going to have to use your network when it comes to this person for sure. So should we move on to the yeah, next one? go to the next one. This, this is the politician, Oof. and this is someone with a true hidden agenda. Oh, those okay? are the best. <laughs> this is like the CIO that wants the operations guy to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, she's never going to say that out loud, but that is the absolute agenda that she has. She wants to get rid of this guy. Right. And so obviously this is a challenge because the success of the project is not aligned with her goals for the project. And so they're promoted because of their political savviness. You know, this is someone who, who really knows how to work their way around to get mm -hmm. what they want. Uh, but the risk is, you know, project decisions get muddied by those hidden goals. You can lose track. Um, sometimes even the North Star of what you're really trying to accomplish can get a little more ambiguous. And it, that becomes very confusing for right. a project team. And even for your messaging, right? If you're saying this is what we're doing and then your sponsor's kind of, well, I don't know if right. it's really what we're trying to do here. It can be infuriating. So I think the politician is the hardest one to spot because they can pretend really well, <laughs> uh, which is kind of scary. Um, so what I think you should do with a politician, it, once you know you have one, which so is how do you know that you have spot, one? So what are some signs that oh, I might man. be dealing with a politician? And how soon do you start to see those signs even? You know, I think if your eyes are open walking in, you can see it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ways I find is the easiest is, you know, trying to get them to nail down communications, for mm -hmm. example. Okay. Like, why are we doing this? What's really critical? How do we know what success looks like? And let's say two weeks later, they go, well, I don't know if that's really what we're trying to do. Or I think we should maybe change this to something else. That's my number one recommendation is to nail down your communications early so that you can constantly be coming back. 
And if they truly want to change something, if there's a business reason to change something, you can make that conscious decision. Right. But if you don't hold them to it, you, your team will just wander, right? Right. I mean, that's the risk. Um, and also spending time with him or her to to figure out what the hidden agenda is, that's the key. If you can really figure it out, oh, okay. you can find that balance of, yeah, this thing is going to be great. Let's message around it. And we won't oversell the benefits to operation, let's <laughs> right. say. You know, so we'll let them maybe take that part um, and then working offline with the other parties to, to get their messaging right. out. There's a level of political savvy that you almost have to bring to the table yes, as well with those. Yes, absolutely. And I think the good news is most change managers, we do bring that naturally to the table. Um, but when you've got a sponsor who's who's being manipulative in that way, it can sometimes throw us for a loop. Absolutely. And you bring up yeah. an excellent point about the communication. So in the brainstorming mm -hmm. sessions, I've experienced this. It's, oh, we're absolutely doing this. We have to do this. Let's get this out there. And then you get the communications ready. And, and that's the ideal message, right? This is what we're definitely doing. This will be happening. Here's why it matters. Um, and then it's, well, do we really want to do that maybe? Or why did you go out with that messaging? I thought we hadn't even agreed on it. It's like, well, what do you mean? We all had a conversation. I thought we're all on the same page. I've actually experienced that uh, firsthand, and it, it's a very frustrating place to be because you almost question, like, did I miss something? Did I, was there a signal that I did not catch? And then you sort Absolutely. of realize, like, oh, no, it's a, it almost becomes a recurring theme after a while. I definitely think I take on that responsibility, too, mm -hmm. you know, of, oh, maybe I missed something. Maybe I'm confused. So if you can try and see your, your sponsor through the lens of this is a real person with their real motivations right. that I may or may not understand, um, nailing down <laughs> as much as you can early uh, and saying, okay, are we all signing off on this? Right. I'm tempted to say in blood sometimes, like, are you yeah. committed to this? Uh, it really does help. Yeah, it's those foundational values is what I call it. It's in the beginning, what ultimately are we doing? What are the foundational values, the messages that we can align to? No matter where this goes, at its core, these are sort of the key principles that we are all aligning ourselves to. If you can get agreement on that sooner, the better. And it sounds like <laughs> even better at identifying if you have a, you know, a politician on your hands. Yeah, you'll spot them earlier yeah. if you do that, too. So next one is called the multitasker, and we all <laughs> have seen this. And this is not just sponsors. This oh, is yeah, everyone. it's everyone. You know, they're distracted during meetings. They need a lot of reminders on past decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, you spend a lot of time reiterating. And so on the one hand, they have been promoted because they are able to juggle a lot, right? They, they're the person that says, absolutely, I'll take on this extra thing. And that's great, but then you waste so much time reiterating your content, uh, trying to get that necessary involvement. You know, if you ask them to send out an email, they say, oh, yeah, 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 just send it to me. But then you have to follow up with them three or four times to get them to send it. And it's really just a challenge because it's not their priority, essentially. Right. Yeah. So this is another great case for the bottom line up front. You know, front load your materials with your asks, because if you have to make key decisions, you know, have them ask specific questions around this decision and not 
waste 30 minutes going over. Well, as you remember, three months ago, we decided blah, blah, blah. You're going to take a, a lot of notes for yourself, too, because they're not going to remember right <laughs> yeah and it's a lot of the things that they've said right it's not even the decisions that have happened around them it's their own decisions or their own comments they exactly. may not remember which is always amusing right it's like wait who decided <laughs> that or who determined that it's like well you did <laughs> did i yeah and it's great if you can have a date assigned to that like well on june 3rd you said mm -hmm. that this is what you wanted it really will allow them to not continue to put the responsibility on you Right. Um, and then be brief and targeted. You know, this is obviously a very busy person. Mm -hmm. If you can cover your content in 15 minutes, don't schedule an hour. Or maybe schedule an hour because they'll be 15 minutes late. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then just take 15 minutes. Um, and, and, you know, create your communications in a way that you can mostly execute for them. So maybe that's a newsletter mm -hmm. and you work with their staff to get final sign-off or... Um, you know, you you cover some communications early and then you just execute on their behalf. Really just use as little of their time as possible because probably they are not going to make this a priority and they still need to look like they're making it a priority. Right, right. Um, and it's interesting. So with these individuals, do you find that um, it's helpful just to have these conversations with them on a recurring basis just to calibrate like, hey, the way I've been doing things is this the best way for you? Or perhaps do you prefer like, I don't know, a, a quick email with a, I need a decision or a 15 minute conversation, a meeting, you know, what's going to work best for them? Maybe walk into their office and have a conversation when they have 10 minutes. Um, I have found with people who are just super busy, don't have the time, maybe it's not a priority. It's always helpful every month, even if, if not more frequently, just to check in and make sure that whatever you're doing is working for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You should have some kind of recurring meeting or communication. I had one sponsor who just didn't read email. Yeah. She just mm -hmm. didn't. And so I didn't know that when I started working <laughs> with her and I just thought she's totally absent. But one day I just called her out of the blue and we had a great communication and and we're able to move things along. So absolutely, you got to find that sweet spot. They may not even know, honestly. Right. I mean, the self-awareness it takes to know how you like to be communicated with. But sure, asking and asking people around them, too. How did you work with them? What, what did you find was successful? Right, right. Yeah. So for this one, do you think it's really resistance or do you think it's more just they don't have the time so it's just not yeah, making it a priority. I'm totally giving them the benefit, <laughs> yeah. benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> I think this is a great way to hide your resistance. Okay. Right. I'm very busy. Right. I'm very busy. Um, so you can have those breakthroughs because sometimes this person just is mm -hmm. legitimately busy but if they don't want to participate and they don't want to be the sponsor it's just a, such a great excuse right well I've just got other priorities. Right. So, so do you but find, still, uh, sorry for interrupting, um, do you find that with, so I think individuals like this, if I had to guess, um, if they're truly resistant, I, I imagine they're never available, but at the mm -hmm. same time, if you were to progress without them, maybe you would hear about it. <laughs> of like, wait, why did yeah. you make that decision? Why did you decide to go in this direction? I wasn't consulted. And it's, well, we tried to meet with you. We tried to set up time. You're just not available. You want us to get a certain delivery date, time in. Uh, this was the only way. And um, 
you, you can't win either way, right? It's we can't meet with you, but at the same time, we can't move forward to meet your ideal deadline without, you know, without you at the same time. So do you find that that's maybe an indicator that you're dealing with someone who's not available, oh. but also resistant? 100%. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the whole, but you didn't consult me right. um, piece because they just don't want it to go out, period. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You know, just get in where you can. Mm -hmm. Be very targeted. Hey, I need $5,000 to do X, and here's why. There's not a lot of room for them to to continue to push off important decisions. But absolutely, this is a challenge. Again, work with their staff. Work with the direct mm -hmm. managers that are impacted by the change to, to continue to be able to move forward. Um, but a multitasker, there. I think most of them are not the true resistors you're mm -hmm. talking about. But absolutely, it's a, a tactic. Yeah, I think multitasking might be a tactic a politician may use as well. <laughs> if we're, try Ooh, we're trying to blend like the two, right? It's like I, I've yes. encountered that with a politician too. It's they're never available, and at the same time, when they are available, it's not to make the key decisions I need them for. It's to, <laughs> you know, complain about my commas in the wrong places. Right. Yes, <laughs> you're you're noticing the trend of the combinations yeah. that can happen here. Well, and we only have one more. Ooh. It's the avoider. Oh, this is the person who just doesn't like risk. So they don't openly voice their concerns. They avoid confrontation at all costs. And they got promoted because they don't rock the boat. Right? This is the person that's pretty consistent. But kind of like we're talking about, they're never available. Mm -hmm. um, they don't speak up in meetings. And I'm not talking about the cultural differences that can be in place. You know, if you're working from someone who is in a different culture, you should be educating yourself right. on, you know, how meetings can be run most effectively. We're not really talking about that here. This is the person who who maybe after the meeting, they walk down the hall to their friend and say, this is not going to work. I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> but they were just in the meeting with you and agreed right. on everything people said. So problems bubble up too late. Uh, we, we struggle with decision-making because conflict doesn't lead to resolution. Mm -hmm. And so it just continues to be conflict. Um, and the sponsor can't be counted on to back the project or the team, right. which really sinks morale when you think you're on the same page and moving towards the same thing. And then you hear that your sponsor's been bad-mouthing the project behind your back. It's really deflating. So what do you do about it, Adnan? <laughs> uh, it's a tough one. You have to, it's a tough one. You have to work one-on-one -on -one with them. Mm -hmm. Because they're so risk-averse, you know, they may be willing to voice their concerns to you individually. And so having a meeting before the meeting right. to be able to maybe speak on their behalf even to raise concerns um, and be a voice for them is going to be important. Um, and building a relationship with their peers and direct reports. Um, you know, if they believe their five direct reports are in favor of this and are ready to move forward, they're going to be less likely to go and badmouth behind, you know, closed right. doors somewhere. Build the squad. <laughs> Build the squad. <laughs> Sorry, I think they call it the coalition, right, in, in a lot of literature, yeah. but I like to call it the squad, my change squad. So <laughs> build the sponsor squad. Sponsor squad. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I love it. 
So the avoider, you know, again, this can just be a personality type mm -hmm. that is, you know, they don't like risk for some reason. They've been promoted because they don't do risk. But at the same time, if you're really resistant to this, it's super easy to be an avoider, right? You just don't participate and you don't speak up. And if you do, it's it's you in the break room saying right. bad things. I think this one has a lot of layers to it. There's certainly mm. a cultural layer to it, mm -hmm. um, you know, both cultural and then within the organization's culture. Um, I, I know with Asian colleagues um, in Asia and in India, um, this is something that we encounter more, or I've encountered more, sure. I'd say. And um, it's a difficult one because I'm not, you, you never really know where it's coming from. Is it more cultural? Is it just maybe not feeling empowered? Even at a sponsor level, sometimes there's that mm -hmm. feeling of I'm not empowered to challenge this because maybe the corporate, you know, the executive mandate is we're doing this and I don't feel empowered to perhaps challenge it. There, there could be that element. There, there's just so many different pieces, I think. So it's really hard to, I don't know, uh, peel back the layers to really uh, figure out where to focus your attention on to hopefully overcome this type of resistance. Right. Yeah. I, I like the idea of doing the meeting before the meeting. Um, if anything, mm -hmm. it prepares you for the meeting, right? So you're not surprised or, or, oh, it's awfully quiet, right? Meetings that are too quiet, those are just always a red mm. flag for me. It's, this is way too quiet. There's no way everyone's completely on board. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the pre-meeting, I find, is sometimes where the good stuff happens, mm -hmm. you oh, know? Yeah. And if you, if you don't do it, it may be the post-meeting where the good stuff happens. And it's better to actually have a meeting where everyone's agreeing, yeah. obviously. Would, do, you recommend having you know, a, do you recommend having a post-meeting as well then? So pre-meeting, the meeting, and then a, a post-meeting? I hope not. But if you've got to, then you've got to. <laughs> what you got to do. Maybe um, the post-meeting is just a quick 10-minute touch base, right, after a few days. Or emailing notes. Mm -hmm. Here's what we decided. Right. And here's what you do if you still have questions. Right. Just another you know, opportunity. To get that conversation started. If it's not a face-to-face -face mm -hmm. conversation, maybe some people feel more empowered by email. Uh, we certainly have, uh, what do they call them in the chat rooms? Um, chat warriors. <laughs> I forget what the saying is <laughs> called, but comment warriors, right? People love to comment and, and challenge things via email, but it's better to, you know, hear that than not know about it at all. Absolutely. Yeah. So, We'll transition now to how to deal with any leader, um, you know, resistant or not. I think there are things that change managers. We expect a lot of our sponsors. Mm -hmm. And so there are some best practices around, okay, you've, you can manage them if they're resistant, but how do you just manage any sponsor to make sure that they are having a good experience and want to work with you? The first is respect their time by preparing well. Mm -hmm. You know, these are busy, busy people, and they've got a lot on their plate, I guarantee, more than just your project. <laughs> so make sure that you know what you're talking about when you walk in the door. If you have a CFO who you know is going to want to talk about the budget, prepare well. Be ready to answer his questions. Also, make it easy for them to step in and help. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we walk in and just lay our problems out and we haven't thought about the solution yet. So go ahead and ask yourself before you even get in the room, what, what could this person do that would really make a difference? Hey, here's the problems, and I would like you to meet with XYZ and say these things, and I will prep that for you. Um, so 
I think that's a huge win when you can make that part easy. And in that same vein, offer solutions, not just problems. This sponsor is not there for you to just complain about why this isn't right. working or, <laughs> you know, you bring all the resistance to them and then just have a big question mark. Uh, making sure that you are thinking like a leader. And this is also going to bring up your level of influence Absolutely. because they will learn to trust you. Um, next is be clear and concise and share wins. You know, these people deal with so much drama and negative stuff, and they're fighting big problems in a lot of cases. So share wins. If there's good stuff happening on your project, let them hear about that. If you are on an elevator with them and you have 30 seconds, they say, how's the project going? Be ready. Be ready to have some things in your pocket that you can be excited about. Because you know what? Then they're going to take that energy. When someone asks them, right. how's it going? then they'll have these things to say, oh, it's going great. Here's the three things they've been up to. I really like that one because you're giving them, mm -hmm. to your point, messages that then they can relay to their peers, other leaders, direct reports, um, and it's, it's on an ongoing basis. You're giving them an update, and at the same time, you're giving them talking points. So I, I really like that one. Exactly. And the last one is learn to think and communicate like him or her. You know, we discussed mm -hmm. this earlier, but if this person has a skew towards something. They like to email. They, they like to be out in front of people. They have a finance focus or they have a people focus, whatever it may be. Just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. And if you can begin to embody and, and write communications with their voice and their priority level, that you are going to become a trusted colleague. And again, your level of influence is going to go up. So if you can do these things, it's, it's not only going to help you in your immediate project, it's going to help you really become that thought partner mm -hmm. and a leader within the company. Yeah, that one's worked well for me, <laughs> mm. internally at least, um, where we work. Um, it, it's certainly been advantageous to... Um, to do what you just recommended. So um, it definitely takes time, though. It's one of those things you oh, learn. Yes. Um, every leader's different, has a different style of speaking, a different style of writing. So uh, there's certainly a learning element to it that you have to just kind of go along with, go along with that journey. But once you get there, um, it, it certainly makes it a lot smoother of a relationship between the change manager and the sponsor. And if they have staff, use the staff. Oh, absolutely. You know, say, hey, could you send me some communications they really liked that really helped their voice? Or, you know, if you're new to a company especially, using that network um, to try and understand what people care about. I almost always find that sponsors have a word they don't like. <laughs> I worked with someone who she hated the word socializing. Socializing. We're going to go socialize this not socializing. I mean, she would go on for 30 minutes about it. So almost all sponsors yeah. have these little landmines. Yeah. <laughs> and like you want to avoid them if you can. Like that game Taboo with the old, I, I guess, mm -hmm. I don't think people play it anymore. Now they play the uh, the smartphone game where you're not allowed to say the word, but you have to you know, get people to guess whatever they're trying to do. But there's certain words you can't absolutely say. You're right. Every sponsor has right. at least four or five that you just don't say. So any way you can avoid those, it'll exactly. go a long way for you. I would love to hear from our listeners what you thought about this list. I'll also be posting, um, don't know where yet, but <laughs> I'll be posting a worksheet uh, where all of this is laid out for you. You can put it on your bulletin board and 
know, maybe if you're coming across a difficult sponsor, this can remind you of some, some tactics to move forward. Great. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Have a great day. 